Well, welcome to HBF. It's good to see you this morning. Sorry to throw you off by the new chair arrangement. You know, we just get something set, then we switch it again. But it's actually uh, it's a good problem to have. We, we need a little extra space. And so we're glad that you're with us. If you're joining us on live this morning or on, online this morning, we're glad that you're with us. And uh, <clears throat> we pray that uh, you're encouraged in the Lord. And if you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Malachi. I really love the song set this morning. You guys like that? I did too. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I know you guys are a little, some of you are a little tired because there's been a lot of work going on around here, but I hope that we can uh, wake, daylight savings is last week, right? So uh, we should be alive and, and kicking this morning. It's been a, it's been a good uh, week, a lot of things going on. So we've been talking about choosing to love the Lord. It's been our sermon series in Malachi chapter, well, through the whole book of Malachi. Malachi chapter three, we've been dealing with heart uh, issues, chapter two and chapter three, and the whole book is really about <clears throat> the heart of Israel. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about that point of where your treasure is, right? Where your treasure is. How's that verse finish? That's right. There will your heart be also. Very good. So, uh, so our purpose this morning is to really just continue to stay focused on learning from Israel's mistakes because they're an example of what you don't want to do. Sometimes you have those examples of what you want to do, and sometimes you've got examples of what you don't want to have done. They're an example of, of somebody or a group of people that are doing what you don't want to do. And so we're trying to learn from those mistakes. And as you know, this is the last book of your Bible. If you're looking for Malachi chapter 3, it's the last book of the Old Testament, I should say. Last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as Malachi wraps up uh, this epistle, this, this prophecy, then he ends up, uh, the lights go off for 400 years. We call it the silent period. And there's not another address to the nation of Israel until Jesus, the Word of God, is manifest in his earthly ministry. So um, I'm glad that you're with us this morning. And uh, you're in Malachi chapter 3. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21 and Luke uh, 12, 34, where your treasure is, there will your heart, there will your heart be also, right? So where we invest is where our heart's going to be. So uh, tax season is coming and you're going to be investing in our country soon. So where is the invest, what, where is investments, um, you know, where are we investing our heart? You know, that's, that's really where, um, that's really where you're going to find your money. It's going to where, where you're going to find your time. It's also going to be where you find your talent. Uh, those are the places we invest our lives is where our heart's at. So I don't know if you realize it or not this morning, but God has invested in you. And that fact is why we gather together on the first day of the week, isn't it? Because we all recognize that Jesus died for our, our sins. He, he was buried and he rose again on the third day. And then they met. The first church meeting was initially in fear on a Sunday, right? The first day of the week. And Jesus appeared to his disciples, and uh, he said, hey, peace, peace be unto you. And they continued that meeting, and we still meet on the first day of the week. And we remember that it's because Jesus invested in us. He gave his life for us so that we could overcome sin and death. And he meets with us every week. He meets with us daily, right? We don't really have to invite him as much as he's here. He's in us. If you're born again, he's in you. But we make ourselves available to, to really hear his voice and to know him and the power of his resurrection being made conformable, right, to his image. We want to be like Christ. And so the power of the resurrection is, is really why we meet. We remember that he's completely vested in us, that we're alive. We just sung some great songs. I'm just thinking, listening to these lyrics. I'm like, this is good. We're alive. We're saved because, well, he's alive, right? If, if he's not alive, then we're wasting our time. We might as well do something else. But he is alive. And not only is he alive, we're alive in Christ, if you're born again this morning. And so he's invested in us. And and it's because of that that we meet and we gather. And, uh, and so it's, it's just because God has invested in us doesn't mean that we invest in him, right? 
That's the reality of the, of the, the, the situation that's going on with Malachi. Even though God has done a lot to, to bring them out of bondage, they're really not that captivated by him, right? It's so quickly that they go right back to where they began. And I think all of us can understand that to one degree or another. In fact, we can grow to be pretty spoiled, right, and unappreciative of all that God has done for us and wants to do in our lives and through our lives. And really what we all need to do is just focus on how is God getting the honor, the glory, the praise out of our life. Uh, but when we lose that, that heart to please God, well, the next thing you know, you can continue with religion. You can keep coming to church. You can keep, you can keep teaching. You can keep preaching. But the heart is missing, right? And when the heart's gone, well, Ichabod, man, it's not that you lose your, your, the Spirit of God in the sense that you can't lose it. You're sealed to the day of redemption. But the Spirit of God is quenched. The Spirit of God is grieved. And, and most importantly, God's initiatives, God's purposes for what he wants to accomplish are not accomplished, right? There's people's souls that, get, that don't get saved. They don't get redeemed. There's people who are not born again. And, and then that, that erodes at the glory of God. That erodes at the very purpose that Jesus Christ died on the cross. I know this is simple. I know this is the ABCs of Christianity, but that's what we, it's like blocking and tackling, right? You can know that this is what you got to do to play football. You got to block and you got to tackle. But if you don't do those things, it's going to mess up everything else. We saw that in the Super Bowl, right? And so uh, if you don't do the fundamentals, then the rest of it's not going to work out, no matter, no matter what. And so this is where Israel finds herself after 400 years of being in, uh, 400 years, I'm sorry, before the coming of Christ, she has, she, God has moved to heaven and earth to get her in a position to be successful. And she just kind of blows it off. It's like, well, you know, and just goes right back to the flesh. And you would think if God was like us, he would say, well, that's it. I'm done with you. But that's not how he is. He's not like that at all. We saw in verse 2 of Malachi chapter 1, he said, I have loved you, saith the Lord, right? They question that. How have you loved us? Well, good night. You're alive. You're breathing. Uh, he loved them so many ways. He says, I loved you by choosing you over Esau. God loves us this morning. He loves you. He loves me this morning. Even, even if you've made a mess of things, he still loves you. And it's great to know that God loves us. It's great to know his thoughts are good toward us. In Jeremiah 29, 11, the Bible says, For I know the thoughts that I have toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. What's God's expected end for you and I? Oh, heaven. Yeah, heaven. <clears throat> What's that going to look like? Is it going to be a wonderful experience of your magnification and glory, all kinds of brilliant light flowing from your life that you can give back to the Lord? Are you going to be like a dim bulb, like 30-watt bulb, 20-watt 20, 20 bulb? I don't even know if they make those, but that'd be pretty low. You know, how much glory is God really getting out of our, out of our lives? So today we'll be recognizing parents. They want to dedicate their lives to raising their children in the way that they should go. And I promise you, the thoughts of those parents is not evil toward their children. They're not going to get up here with their children and hold them from sweet babies and say, oh, you know, I just hope my child doesn't make it. I hope that they're not glorifying to God. I hope they dishonor my name. I hope, they make, I hope when my child grows up, the name Hedges is just totally annihilated because they do something so horrible. Right? No parent in the world uh, that has any kind of brains in their head or a heart would ever do that i mean it's not even natural that'd be unnatural a natural a parent is like man this is a gift from god 
this is a blessing from God. I'm entrusted with this precious cargo, and I'm, I'm going to dedicate my life to raising this child in the way they should go so God can get the honor and glory, so that, that he can be exalted. So it's, it's, so it's good for them, because I want what's good for them. I'm going to put... I'm going to put myself aside so that they can, they can get what they need. Right? That's true love. And so the, the thoughts toward their children are, are, are good. They're not evil. And when a child makes a mistake and it fails and rebels, well, a good parent desires that they return to the Lord and restores their relationship with both God and their family. Right? Because you know what? Our kids are just like us. They tend to wander. Right? We don't say, okay, you got out of line. That's it. You're gone forever, right? We give them, we give them grace, mercy, but we got to correct, right, instruction and righteousness. We got to correct things so that we can get back on track. So this morning, we're going to see three things that will allow us to return and restore fellowship with God whenever we allow sin to break it, because that's really where Israel's at. They've allowed things to break it, but they're not really doing what they need to, which is acknowledging it and repenting. The three things we can do is, one, recognize God's mercy. The second thing is going to be uh, return to God's will, which is very simple. And the third thing is realize God's reward. So let's look in our text, Malachi chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 6 through 10, or 6 through 12, I'm sorry. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 12 this morning. I'm going to pick up the thought that we left off on in verse 6. We've already covered this, so I won't tarry, but it really ties it together nicely. Verse 6, it says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have ye robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes in the storehouses that... Uh, there may be meat in mine house, and, and prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open, open you the windows of heaven and pour, uh, pour you out blessings, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. I pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of it. Lord, help us to remember these points that we just covered. Lord, help us this morning to recognize your mercy, to realize and return to your will, and, uh, and then receive the reward that you have for us. I thank you and I praise you and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's clear that from the text that God's thoughts toward Israel are only good. When you read this, you see he wants to bless them. He wants them to be in a right position. And it was Israel who was disobedient, who was blind and violating God's word without any regard to how it impacted God's heart or their heritage. And so this morning, as we prepare to, uh, to pray over our heritage, it's a good time to take inventory of our priority and our investments. You see, Israel was giving... Uh, <coughs> I'm sorry, they were going through the motions. They weren't giving. They actually weren't giving properly. They were just going through the motions. Uh, they were not prioritizing the Lord. And we've already covered that. We learned that early on in the book. And we know that they were bringing the, the worst sacrifices to the temple and not their best. So in essence, God, uh, they were saying, hey, God, here is the leftovers, right? 
we're going to go ahead and play at this, uh, and we're going to act like we're your people, but we're not going to give you our heart. We're not going to give you our best. We're going to give you our leftovers. And we saw that in verse 7 of chapter 1. He said, you offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and you say, wherein have we polluted thee? You know, you act like you don't know what's going on, but you know what's going on. It's leftovers. In that, in that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto the, thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? He's like, you wouldn't give that to the, to the governor. You wouldn't give that to a dignitary, but you'll give it to, to me, right? If someone special is coming to your house, you're not going to feed them that moldy bread. You're not going to give them that old lame sacrifice, but you're going to give it to me, which just reveals the heart, right? That's where they were at. And so before we realize God's reward, we need to recognize his mercy. Because, again, you would think that God would just almost stop and say, I've had it. I mean, come on, what else do I need to do? After all of these years, I've been putting up with you all. (laughs) I'm done. But he's not a quitter. Not like we are. He doesn't quit. I like what Jim Boyette said. I was a quitter, but now I'm not. You remember that in his last message? You know, that's Jesus in us. It's Jesus that makes us go forward in faith. It's Jesus that blesses us. It's when we, we just sang about it. When we realize his mercy, we, like, we go, whoa, I am saved. I am a new creature in Christ. I'm going forward in faith. And how does that come to us? Well, we recognize God's mercy. In verse 6, back in the text there, let's just look at the text real quick. He says, for I am the Lord thy God. I change not. Therefore, ye, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. So God's mercy reveals God's unchanged and unchanging character. For I am the Lord. I change not. We spend a lot of time talking about that Lord, right? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I change not. So this is a good thing. Or we'd all be in trouble. The only thing we can count on is the consistency of God's word, which cannot be separated from his character. Aren't you glad God doesn't change? He doesn't go back on his word. He's not, you know, schizophrenic. I mean, he knows what he's doing, and he's not going anywhere. He's there. He's solid. Uh, Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is God. So when nothing else in our world is stable, guess who is stable? God is stable. He's an anchor. So from the opening pages of Scripture, we have seen that Adam uh, is not uh, consumed in the very beginning. When you think about just the opening pages of the book of Genesis, and you see what goes on with Adam and Eve. I remember asking a preacher about this one time. Um, uh, I won't get into all the answers, but I'm like, could have God could would would could God have gone a different direction with Adam and Eve? You know, what if Adam would have repented and Eve would not have? You know, what would have happened? And you can have all these this hypothesis, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. God God is merciful. He could have just stopped everything dead in its tracks and said, you know what, this Adam thing isn't working out. I'm done with it. I'm gonna tr- I'm gonna put it in the garbage can and throw it in the trash. He knew Adam was created with weakness. He created him that way because he, he's wanting to do an operation of love, something Satan cannot understand and comprehend because Satan will not obey God's commandments. But here we are in this position where we get to choose to obey God. We get to choose to love God and keep his commandments. Why? Because he's wanting to have a love relationship with these beings that replace a third of the angels. It's an incredible thing that he's doing. So God, God's mercy uh, is, is our hope. It's because of God's mercy and grace that Noah and his seed were preserved through the flood. Right? Not only did God 
not destroy Adam's seed. Then he goes on and, and he destroys everything else, but preserves Noah and his three sons. I mean, you see his mercy all the way through the Bible. Even after the resurrection, right? Jesus could have just said, you know, Israel, I think that's pretty bad. You've rejected me. I allowed you to crucify me. I'll tell you what, I'm done with you. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Let's forget this whole uh, J- Jerusalem thing. Let's just get past Jerusalem and Judea. And uh, I'll just start in Samaria and the uttermost. I won't even mess with you. But no, he comes back around in his mercy and love. And he says, hey, here I am. Would you receive me? And then, of course, he calls Paul, someone who put his uh, deacon Stephen to death. And you see the mercy, the goodness of God. It's, so, it's greater than all of our sin. You cannot outbad God's good. That's just all there is to it. You think you're bad, well, God's more good. You cannot outsin His goodness. He's incredible. You can, and by the way, uh, His mercy does end. So there is a time where you need to come to, to understanding that, but I'll get to that in a minute. So God's mercy is our hope. The sons of Jacob are not consumed because God is good for His word, even when we break ours. So remember God said uh, before the children of Israel, blessing and cursing. And obedience was prophesied to bring great blessing and disobedience. And, and if they didn't, there was going to be great cursing. Well, uh, that's back in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. He said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Choose life so you have a good life. That's not what he says. Choose life so you and your seed shall live. Make a good choice because it not only affects you, but it affects your seed after you, both the physical and the spiritual seed, right? So it's important for us as Christians. This is really important because if we don't make good choices, we're not going to see people get saved. Our own children, right? You could come up in a home. You could be born again, but if you don't live for Christ, it's possible to lose your own house, right? Now, there's no guarantee, by the way, for any of us that our kids are going to get saved, but obviously, if we pray and we ask the Lord to do that, that's his will, it's our will, then you know what? Let's trust God to get that done. And so it's important that we choose obedience, that we choose life. But when we don't, well, what happens is we choose death. And those that hate God, you know what? They love death. And death is part of our culture today, isn't it? Death is, uh, I'm in here watching the kids sing. It kind of grieved me this morning. They're singing songs that, that are popular on the radio. It's a good song. I don't mind the songs for radio listening. It's not a worship song. It's a song about our brokenness and how we're all broken and all of this, and it's a good song. But at the end of the day, I'm like, man, we, we're fixed. We're fixed. There's a moment where we've got to be contrite and understand our brokenness. Don't get me wrong. We should do that daily and moment by moment. But we don't stay there, right? We come up on out of that thing. Why? Because of the resurrection, because of God's mercy, because of God's love, because of his power, because his, his purpose is for us. He has something for us, man, and that should compel us. To get on up and start walking and start living for Christ. That's what we want for our, kill, our children. But if we don't do that ourselves, then why would our kids do it? Right? If we're not following Christ, why would they follow Christ? You, you get what I'm saying? It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. So the Jews, um, <clears throat> in Malachi, uh, he was addressing the Jews. And God made a promise that they were not, uh, that they were not keeping. I'm trying to read my notes here. It, it is God's mercy that they were not consumed. So the Jews in Malachi were being addressed um, because they actually were not keeping the promises that God had given them. That's what I'm trying to say. He's actually coming to them and saying, guys, listen, it's time for a family talk. It's time to just sit down and say, look, you are not reaching your potential. (laughs) You're You're not where you need to be. 
Now, this is what happened in, in Ezra chapter 10, and I covered this in the introduction in verse 3. They made a deal with God. They're like, look, we're going to put away all of our strange wives. Uh, as a matter of fact, it says explicitly, now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such are born from them according to the counsel of my Lord and those that tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Now we know God hates divorce, but this was a strange situation where God says, listen, if you continue to marry outside the confines of what the Bible teaches in your people, and you keep getting unequally yoked with these pagans, you will become a pagan, and all the promises that I have delivered you for will not be available. And they hear the word of God, and they see the curse that comes upon not obeying the Lord, right? The death that will come to his plan for them, the death that will come to their families, uh, going all the way back to the prophecies in Deuteronomy. And they're like, whoa! And their hearts prick, and they repent. And they say, we're going to make a covenant. And for all we know, I mean, Ezra, they, they did. They executed on that covenant. And they separated themselves from that activity that God called them to separate from. So praise the Lord. And so as we saw in Malachi 2.14, these men had, had short memories, though. And they were treating their wives treacherously and were writing bills of divorcement. Not probably 10 years later. And God shows up through Malachi and says, Guys, you're making me weak, man. You're, you're bumming me out here. What are you doing? Treating the wife of your youth like this. And they were giving them bills of divorcement and marrying these young pagan women, going directly back to the same sin that they'd already been rebuked for. But God's mercy. It's God's mercy that we're not consumed. The first mention of the phrase not consumed is found in Exodus 3.2. And that's, of course, dealing with the, the burning bush, right? This fiery bush that was not consumed. It was a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. You know, God is a consuming fire, but his presence in the, in the burning bush was, was not consumed. He was giving the word to Moses, and he was not going to break it. He doesn't break his word. It's because of his mercy that we're not consumed. You know, God was answering the call of prayers. There were people that were in bondage. There were people in Egypt that were, that were bound. And they'd been praying to Almighty God. And they're saying, help, Lord, help. And their hearts were broken and they were contrite. And, and they needed help and, and they needed to be delivered. And God was looking for somebody, anybody that would go. And he had someone in mind. His name was Moses. And he comes to him in a... In a He's a consuming fire, but he comes to him in this bush that, that doesn't consume the fire. And he, makes, he, makes a, he starts to interact with Moses. And, and you know what Moses learns is God is good for his word. He ends up giving his word an unquenchable, un, undefiled, an unassailable word to Moses. The written word comes through Moses, which, of course, we have in our possession today. There's nothing that's going to change. This word, it'll consume us, man, but it is, un, it is untouchable, man. It is, it is a fire in our soul. It should, it should move us. It should motivate us. It should stir us. It should pick us up. It should move us into action for God, not against God, not away from God, but it should draw us toward God. And when we understand his mercy and his grace, that we should be consumed, but we're not because of the word of God. That is who makes us who we are today. All the dross and all the other filth of our flesh. Yes, get rid of it. Oh Lord, the day is coming when this earthly tabernacle will be shed. And it will go into the earth. Praise God. Burn it all. 
but give me my soul, redeemed by the word of the God, by the word of God, saved by the blood of the Lamb. We just sang about it. You know, God is incredible, and He's so merciful. Many passages in the Scripture testify to the blessings of recognizing God's mercy. Psalm seventy-eight thirty-eight says, "But He, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not." Why is it that we're not consumed? Because he makes us like him, right? He changes our very image into the image of Christ. He changes us to his image. Why? Because he wants to preserve us. He wants to make us better than we are, better than Adam. That's why we were found in the last Adam. Oh, by his mercies, we're not consumed. Many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. If he really gave us everything we deserved, we wouldn't last a millisecond. We'd be gone, vaporized. Lamentations 3, a passage familiar to many of us, is <clears throat> it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. As, as just and, and as, as righteous as his wrath is, he is equally merciful and compassionate. And his compassions fail not. They, they are new every morning. Amen. And great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God our Father. Romans 2, 4, you, you may know this verse very well as, in, in, as well. Romans 2, 4 says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and the forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Why is it that we repent? Well, there's that day in our life where we recognize that we're sinners and that sin deserves justice, that we merited justice. The, the wages of our sin is, well, it's not life. It is death. That's what we've been investing in. But yet we find the mercy of God, right? Well, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Very simple, but very powerful. It was his mercy. It's his compassion. It fails not. And that is all we have. It's not in the works of our righteousness that we have done. It is in his work, his finished work on the cross. It is us putting our faith in his faith. He's the one who had the faith to, to pray through the garden. He is the one that had the faith to endure the cross, despising the shame. He is the one that was able to, to pray back Psalm chapter 22, Psalm chapter 23. He is the one who was able to have communion with himself while separated so that he could, he could believe. He believed his word even when we didn't. And, of course, he rose again victorious over sin and death. Man, God's mercy is new this morning. And I tell you, we won't return to God's will if we don't recognize his mercy. Israel, they're like, what? What have I done wrong? Who, me? You know, they're like a soccer player out there. They're like, what, me? I didn't do it. What are you talking about? That's like the, that's the universal sign of what? Is that how they do it? Like, I don't, I don't know. You know, God's mercy is new right now. God, you know, we need to recognize God's goodness this morning. You know, just practically speaking. And I know you, I'm in the amen choir. Maybe you're watching online, but the reality is this. We're breathing, right? We're breathing. Um, we live in a, I know, I know there's a lot of opinions about our nation, but I don't care what you think about it. It's still the greatest nation on the planet. And, God want, and God's put you here. That's, that's a blessing. Uh, you're, you're living in a relatively peaceful and safe society. Um, it's safer. I saw a statistic the other day. It's safer today in the United States than it was in the 70s and 80s. I believe that. I lived in the 80s. 
and I got in some hairy situations. Uh, it's, it's, it does seem a lot safer. Uh, you're, you're living in a, in a relative peaceful society for now, and you have food to eat, and you have enough you know, health today to be here, to get up, mobilize yourself, and get where you want to go at your own leisure, right? At your, with, under your own volition. You made it here today because, well, you're free. You can go where you want to go today. You can walk toward God today, or you can just walk away from God. You can do that. It's your decision. Man, God's good. We got our health. We got we got our Bibles. Man. Any other thing? So what else? Why? Give me something God's given us today. Something we should be thankful for. I wasn't going to do this. Yeah. Life. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Family. Boy, that's a blessing. His house. Yeah, Kevin. Oh, well, praise the Lord. Yeah, I pray that is the case. Well, you guys are too kind. Now I have to stop with that. But uh, <laughs> we, I love you too. I really do. So, so you, I wasn't looking for that, but uh, praise the Lord. Um, but we got, his prom- we got his promises, right? We got his promises. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things that we have in this room, no matter, because we're all a different, I mean, we've got, I don't, is Randy in the house? I think there's Randy back there. Uh, we've had people with challenges. We've had, you know, Jim just passed away. Ann's now widowed. I mean, this this church has got ch- people are have challenges. I mean, like mountains of challenge. Uh, doesn't mean we go smooth every day. Everything's just a wonderful day. You know, there's hard days and hard nights. But the reality is this. This is some one of the things I, I just really want to make sure we don't walk out of here and miss. When you're talking about God's mercy and some of the things that you can go, this is tangible. Now, this isn't tangible like this pulpit. But you can walk out of here knowing this. This is something that a lot of the people in Cass County, in the Midwest, in the United States, and around the world do not have. They don't have hope. And we have hope. Why do we have hope? Because God's word is sure. He doesn't change. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is just. He is righteous. He is all of that. And he is ours. We have hope this morning. Praise God for that. So where your treasure is, well, there's your heart also. So recognize God's mercy and it will change your heart and your life. And then secondly, we've got to return to God's will. So he goes on in verse 7 and says, Even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances. Right? You guys haven't been doing good for a long time. And you haven't kept them. Return unto me. Right? He could have, he could have just said, And because of that, you're done. He could have changed the, He could have said, Because of that, you've never done what's right. I'm done with you. He doesn't do that, though. He says, return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, again, at that, at that sentence, at that period, it could be like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I mean, you're so merciful, you're so kind. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Isn't that what it, it's what it should say? But it, it doesn't say that. He says, but you said, because this isn't my first time to say this to you. Wherein shall we return? What do you want me to do? The guy says, well, I'm glad you asked. Will a man rob God? I already told you in chapter 1. You're giving me some pretty pathetic sacrifices. Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? Oh, so since you're asking, why don't you just correct your tithes and your offerings? Why don't you begin to give back to me what is due me? 
Now, I don't have time to, to work this like a preacher should, that's for sure, uh, because of everything going on. You can go back to Wednesday night. We literally just talked about this Wednesday night. So you can go back and listen to Wednesday night's message if you want to get into that with QA session. I deal, I deal with all the details of tithing and offerings and sacrificial giving, or not all, but many of them. But I, I don't want to get too far afoot on that this morning. What I just want to stay focused on here is how important it is to return to God's will by returning to your Heavenly Father. Uh, I tell you what, that's exactly what they needed. Like the prodigal son in Luke 15, when the prodigal son realized that identifying with the world robbed him of all of his father's wealth and honor. He was willing to return to his father's house as a servant. He's like, you know what? I'm not even worthy to carry my dad's name anymore. I, I've already spent all the wealth that he, he entrusted me. I can't, I'm just going to go back, and I'm going to live like one of his servants, like one of his hired hands, and I will get a better life working as his hired hand than I will being out here in the world living for the world, the flesh, and the devil, because they ain't got no love for me. He figured it out, and he started, you know what he did? He returned home. He went back home. He changed his heart and his mind, and the next thing you know, his feet were moving right back to dad's house. God's calling Israel to return to him and his promises. And he says, you know what, when you, when you, re- when you re- return to me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to return to you. You're going to know tangibly that I'm in your life. It's going to be evident that I'm with you. And those things that are now curses will become blessings. God's calling Israel to return to him and his promises, and he will return to them. If, if you but turn, return to the, to the God who created you in the womb. There are those out here, it starts just with that. God is, is who he says he is. He's real. Return to the person who quickened you in the womb and brought you into the world. Start at the big picture. Return, there is a God. Return to the God who granted you the first heartbeat and the first breath. Return to the God who loved you before you were even born. Before you had a chance to have all these heartaches in your life that you point your finger back to God and said, if you love me, God, you wouldn't allow this to happen. Let, let me tell you something. If you, didn't know, if you don't know this, if, you, if it wasn't for God, you wouldn't even be here. You wouldn't have a chance to point your finger at him. And if it wasn't for the goodness and the mercy of Almighty God, He would strike you down and turn you into dust. God is merciful. I get so tired of people picking on my God. And He just sits there and takes it and He takes it because He's good and He's merciful and He's kind. My goodness, who in the world are we to point our finger at God? We wouldn't even be in the planet without Him. He's so good to us. And that's before we even get to Jesus Christ and his work of redemption. Sorry, I get fired up about this stuff. Because, I believe, I, guys, it's true. Return to the God who loves you. We live in a culture that, that just mocks God. Ridiculous. Return to God who loved you before you were even born. Turn from sin. You know, what we got to do is we got to realize we got a bad dad. I don't mean any disrespect to my earthly father. I love he's in heaven, but I, my earthly father was my earthly father. But at the end of the day, my earthly father can't get me to heaven. At some point, you've got to trust God the father. And any good father that's raising their kids in the way they should go, that's who they're going to point their kids to, is the father in heaven. And you know what the Bible says? He's going to come to you. 
in Luke 15, 29, as he come to you, it says that in Luke 15, 20, when that prodigal son came home, it says that he arose, this is what happened to the father, and he arose and he came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He didn't hardly get up the drive, man. He was a long way, he's a quarter mile out. Dad's doing the sprint. <laughs> he's running down there. He's getting down to his son and he is embracing him. He's like, son, I'm glad you're home. Man, God wants us home more than we do. I think in large part because we're as blind as Israel. We really don't understand. I think when we get to the other side of eternity, we will be completely amazed and shocked at how much peril we're in right now. I don't mean because of the economy. I don't mean because of Russia or China and all that. All That's all part of it. I mean just the spiritual peril that we're in. If it wasn't for God's spirit, if it wasn't for his word, if it wasn't for his mercy and goodness to us, man, we would be, <laughs> we would really see hard times. The devil hates you. Satan hates you. He hates me. He hates this book. He hates what's going on right here. But you know what? God loves us. He makes a way for us. He, he sets time apart for us. And he, and man, he comes to us. He's in us. And he's working through us. So return to God. Return to God's will by remembering God's love. In verse 7, right? In verse 7, he's, he says, Even from the days of your fathers you are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I'll return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. He wants you to come home. You know, God's already loved us, and it's therefore imperative that we don't forget his great love for us. Israel had been delivered from Egypt and quickly turned out of the way. Israel had been delivered from the promised land, or into the promised land, rather, and quickly turned out of the way and allowed apathy, apostasy, and anarchy to ensue. Israel was delivered by David and, and could not stay away from idolatry for more than a generation. Israel was taken into captivity in Babylon and was miraculously restored, yet their, their, their memory was short. And 400 years before Jesus' incarnation, they were struggling to remember the God, the God that loved them. And we must remember that God has loved us and never forget it. In Romans 5, 8, the Bible says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we return to God by refusing to cover up sin. He's like, you said, wherein shall we return? He's like, well, I just told you, you guys are robbing me of tithes and offerings. This is the sixth of the seven questions that God asked Israel. And the, the first one was in verse 2 of chapter 1. How have you loved us? He says, well, by choosing you. In verse 6 of chapter 1, they, they say, how have we despised your name? He's like, well, by dishonoring you. In, in uh, Malachi 1.7, how have we polluted thee? Well, the moldy bread and the sacrifices. In chapter 2 and verse 17, how have we wearied him? I mean, how, what do you mean you're wearing me out? You're, we're wearing you out? Well, because of the way you're mistreating your wives. You're, you're killing me. In chapter 3 and verse 7, wherein, wherein shall we return? Oh, by honoring God in worship. Give back to me what's, what's already mine. And the, in the, verse 8, how we robbed him by bringing leftovers instead of what God asks us for, which is our first fruit. You know, how do you know that uh, – I don't know what my I, – my, I, I'm tripped up here. This is a question. It's a great question. I'm not going to ask it. So um, – How do you know that God owns everything if you don't acknowledge his provision in your life and make it a priority? Right? How do you know 
how do you actually show him that he owns everything, that you acknowledge that, God, yeah, you do give me everything, if you don't actually acknowledge it and make giving back to him a priority? Now, he's mentioned tithes and offerings, and, you know, we could talk about money, which we should. Obviously, we give the first fruits of our increase. But it's not just about that. It's really about the heart. It's about our life. We just can't afford to make him our, our last priority, our second best. So the first mention of tithe, which uh, means a tenth, comes in Genesis fourteen twenty, as Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. And he did that before the law of Moses was even written. And what was he really doing there? Well, he was fulfilling what Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and presses shall burst out with new wine. You know, so I'm actually preparing this last night. I'm thinking, you know what, Lord? And this is, this is a bad on me. I will get this corrected as, literally as soon as I can. I was going to do it last night, but it was too late. I went to sleep instead. But I got this. I look at my savings account, and boom, I got all this money from the government that I wish we wouldn't spend. You know what? Before I spend, and this is me, I don't want to spend anything else out of that until I put it where it needs to go. Right? That's what I'm talking about. It's just the little things like that. It's like, man, God, I don't, where did that come from? Right? what do you do oh thank you no god didn't give me that to consume he gave me that to give back right that's how it goes with everything god is gracious like that so the fruit of the womb that's just money but the fruit of the womb is his reward god gives us children why so we can do the hard work of giving them back how many parents do we know in our churches in this kind of bible believing you know, hardcore Bible church. We love Jesus. We love the Word of God, man. Dispensational. Rightly divide the Word. Authorized version. We believe in God's preservation. All of those things. Amen, amen, amen. We believe in reaching the world. And we do. We believe in the fulfilling the Great Commission. All men everywhere. Amen. But when God says, okay, I want your son. I want your daughter. And they're going to go to some hard place. Or they're going to bypass on the career that you had sought out for them, the education you thought would be best for them. And they're going to check out and go to the Bible path. They're going to set their career and their goals and their life aside and follow Jesus. And you don't know what's going to happen. They may live like a pauper the rest of their life. They may have to be bivocational as they plan a church till Jesus comes. You know, you just don't know. You're like, well, well, wait a minute, son. Wait a minute, daughter. You need to rethink this. Why? Why? Why do we got to rethink it? I'll tell you why we got to rethink it, because it's hard to give the first fruits of your increase. Where your treasure is, there's your heart also. But this is the thing, parents. We got to make sure that we're lined up with God's will so that our kids can be lined up with God's will. Because the truth of the matter is there are people that find the ministry, they find the pulpit, and it is, it's, it's, it's not the easiest road, but it's not honorable. In reality, it's kind of dishonorable. What's honorable is being a lawyer, being an attorney somewhere, being a, a business person, being an affluent person in the society with a big degree and, and a lot of money in the bank. And there's nothing wrong with all of that. But there's some people, listen to me, parents, there's some people in our midst, there's some, some of your grandchildren, some of your children, listen to me, they will not stoop that low 
They've been under the word of God their whole life. And they've been believing the promises of God. And they're listening to the spirit of God. And God is calling them. And God is calling them. And they're like, listen, I, I, I know I could be an attorney. I know I could be a lawyer. I know I could be the next president. But I don't want to settle for that. I want to preach God's word for all of God's glory. And I want to see the world change for Jesus. And don't, don't, I'm, I know there's a lot of goofballs in the ministry. But I will tell you this. Some of the best people in the world that you'll ever meet, that's what they're doing right now is preaching God's word. God's best. Because parents out in little farm towns in Kansas and Illinois and all over this country and all over the world and little villages in India, man, these people look and they say, oh my goodness, in light of all the other things that we can pursue in life, there's nothing greater than God's glory. There's nothing greater than this book. There's nothing greater than the mission of God. And I am willing to give my child and whatever God wants to that cause. And you find men like Pradeep Lima and Krista Das, and there's men all over the planet that, that God has set apart and he's using them in a mighty way. And what, they are way better than Prime Minister Modi. As a matter of fact, I would wish Prime Minister Modi would listen to their message and he would bow the knee and he would receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's no greater cause. Are you getting what I'm talking about here? Why wouldn't we give God the first fruits of our increase? Why wouldn't we give him our heart? Why wouldn't we give him everything when he has given us so much? Without him, we can do nothing. Recognize God's mercy. It'll change your heart and your life. Return to God's will so you can realize God's reward. And that is my last point, and I've got to be done quickly. Verses 9 through 12. Ye are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. But he says, that's not where it ends. Bring ye all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven. Think about that. When were the windows of heaven opened? The flood. Genesis. Judgment. Man, God opened the windows of heaven. He judged the whole world. Why? Because he's good for that too. And he's telling his people who he has called out, who he has loved, who he is preserving through thick and through thin, through all kinds of disobedience. I'm going to open the windows of heaven and I'm going to just deluge you with blessing. I'm just waiting to open the windows of heaven on you. And not bring a curse, but bring a blessing. Now, I don't want to sound like a charismatic up here, you know, and name it, claim it, and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. But I will tell you, God wants to bless his people. In the Old Testament, he's going to preserve Israel. He's going to pour out blessings on them. It's going to happen. But right now, this is the age of grace. This is a dispensation of grace, and he has already poured out his blessing. It's Jesus Christ. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, man. And we, don't, we want to see that window open. There's a door that's open to us. It's effectual. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all the nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. So this is what we've got to do. We've got to realize God's reward by repenting of robbery. Just do what you need to do. Quit making excuses and execute. That's, that's all he's saying. Just, just do the right thing. God was challenging Israel to be obedient so he could prove his goodness to them. God wants you to taste and see that he is good, but it requires obedience in giving your time, your talent, and your treasure. Start somewhere, right, anywhere, and grow from there. 
a tithe of your heart, a talent, and a treasure. Man, that's a great place to start. We don't teach that you must tithe 10%. We just say that's a great place to start. God owns everything. You know, that's a good place to start. The storehouse will be full. The ministry will be funded. The work will go on. Literally, the, the priest in the Old Testament, he's saying they don't, the, the storehouse is going to be fully stocked. There's going to be plenty of sacrifices, high-quality sacrifices. The priests are going to be fed. There's going to be plenty of things. Everybody just simply loves me and gives the first fruit. Realize God's reward by reversing the curse of sin. I really like this. God gives a clear understanding of how they were cursed. He says, you are cursed, right? You are cursed with a curse, just in case you don't get it. In Haggai 1.6, he told the nation of Israel, You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And there is he that earneth wages only to put them in a bag with holes. Right? So every dollar you get just goes right out. There's no catching up. The storehouse was empty. What was the curse? Some crazy curse, you know? Hey, this is a curse you might actually identify with. The curse was simply this. The storehouse should have been full, but it was empty. He's like, man, I make a hundred grand. My house should be full, but I, for some reason I'm empty. What's up? Where's it all going? The fruit was not producing. Man, that vine just isn't, it's just not producing. We've had that. Some of this Cass County soil is not always, uh, at least in our yard, the rocks and the clay. Not always a good situation <laughs> for getting good fruit, right? And so it's like, man, that, that thing just isn't blooming the way it should. The harvest wasn't coming in. And Israel was a reproach, once again, among her nations. They were letting Sam Ballot, Tobiah, these people moving in to the the temple, making their office inside the household of God. I mean, some of y'all, you know what I'm talking about. You let people in your house you shouldn't. I don't mean your physical building at home. You're dealing with things you shouldn't deal with. Things are going in your system that shouldn't be there. Get it out! Get rid of it! Stand up for Jesus and be a soldier of the cross. Follow Christ, man. Get sand ballot. Get him out of there. Gone. Get rid of it. Follow Jesus in obedience. And guess what? The tap will turn back on. Obedience brings blessings. And he reverses the curse of sin. He says, I want to pour out blessings. In Luke 6, 38, he says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all shall it be measured again to you. And that is the New Testament principle, right? As we give, God will bless. So you're like, well, how much should I give? Well, how much do you want to be blessed? Right? That's, that's what it boils down to. But here's what it looks like. Practically, your fruit's preserved. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. I will, if, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that, ye shall not, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You'll have overflow. You'll have abundance. And I'll bring the devourer for, uh, I will rebuke the devourer, I'm sorry, for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. There's a lot of fruit that we're concerned about. But I tell you, we're talking about children here in just a minute. Man, I don't want to see, I, I have my children. I don't know where, where's my daughter at? Did she come to church today? Okay, there you go. <laughs> I'm not a very good shepherd. Uh, I don't want to see any, any devourer devour my kids. Anybody want their kids devoured? No, we don't. You think about it, Abraham and Lot. Abraham, he didn't even have a child. He was going by faith. He's like, Lord, I, I'm just going to follow your will. I'm going to dwell over here. I'm going to keep your word. I've learned that when I don't, it doesn't work well for me. You know, Abraham got out of fellowship too. 
Then you got Lot, right, who had to go to the plains of Sodom, had to, but he didn't, want, he didn't prioritize his children. He had those blessings, and he didn't even take advantage of it. And both of those seeds, one came, Isaac came, and he ended up becoming the Messiah Highway and the promises of the Lord Jesus through him. But you know what happened to Lot's kids, his daughters, Moab, Moabites. They become the enemies of God. They get destroyed. His fruit didn't make it. Beloved, I, I want my fruit to make it. I want the church. I want the fruit in this church. When I see people get saved, Brian Rinker, I want you to make it. I want you just to kind of puddle along, man. You need to make it. If you got saved in this building in the last 12 months, you got to make it. We don't want to see you just kind of floundering around, going back and, and being torn up by the devil, man. We need you guys to get in the word of God, to get serious about Jesus, because there's a serious battle to fight. God wants to save your seed, and he wants to see other people saved. And it's our job to make sure that we invest the word of God in the, in the faithful men and women so that the, the word of God can go forward to every generation. That's what discipleship's all about. So your fruit, man, you want to see it come to harvest. You want to see the fruit appear on the vine right on time, and then you want to make it out to harvest, right? He says, not only will you get fruit, that thing's going to make it to harvest. I'm going to reverse the curse. Your fruit hasn't been making it to harvest. You, you don't have anything to harvest. The vine's uh, prematurely dropping the fruit, and it's no good. I want, to, I want to fix all that for you. I mean, it's all in God's hand, isn't it? Your, possession, your, your position in the world. He says, Israel, I want to restore that. Have you noticed that Israel's a new nation? Yay! Have you noticed the whole world hates her? Including probably 60, 75% of the United States uh, politicians? I mean, if it wasn't for a remnant of Zionist conspirators like us, which is not true, of course, that's how we're labeled, then you know what, Israel, they'd probably already nuke her. But she's in God's hands, and she's not redeemed yet either. But Proverbs says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. So realize God rewards us by allowing, uh, by, <clears throat> I'm sorry, realize God's reward by allowing God to restore your life. And he ends this verse in verse, or he ends this passage in verse 12. Look at this and we'll be done. He says, and, and all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land. And this is what we need to focus on here, right at the very end. Those last few words, one, two, three, four, five words, saith the Lord of hosts. You know what he's saying there? He's like, if you will just hear what I'm saying to you, take it to heart, turn and do what I'm asking you to do, I will make it happen for you because I'm the Lord of hosts. I just need you to do your part. I'm not asking you to do 100% of it. Just get started. Just do what you know you're supposed to do. And it'll, be, it'll happen for you. The key to realizing, God, to realizing God's reward is not counting on the world, but counting on the word. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If we want to honor God, we'll honor his word, and we will be rewarded with the fruit of obedience. So where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Beloved, we could use some reward in our lives, couldn't we? Amen. Not, not a stimulus check.
but the aid of the Holy Spirit of God, the God of heaven, as we recognize the riches of Christ and we allow him to do a work in us, to, to do something in us that only he could do, a commitment to return to the place where God can bless us, clean hands and a pure heart, a blessing that fills the storehouses, a blessing that puts fruit on the vine, a blessing that preserves the fruit to harvest. There's coming a time we're all going to stand, at, if we're saved, at the judgment seat of Christ. And man, do we want to see a bountiful harvest. Not just the glory that shall appear in us, but the glory that shall appear with us. The souls that will come in, the souls that will be discipled, the, the people that will be changed, the churches that will be planted, the nations that will be reached, doing the mission of God according to the word of God for the ultimate glory of God. And may God bring a harvest. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this time. I pray a blessing to the reading and the hearing of your word. I pray, God, that you would just bless us now as we continue in prayer. As we conclude, I just want to...